Kaya FM podcast. The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. Welcome back to The Law Report. My name is Michael Matwening Bell, and I have kept my promise. Uh, we have Gareth uh, Prince in studio. A lot of you will know him from many years ago. His journey started when uh, some of us were still trying to be lawyers. Uh, since the year 2000, um, we were watching uh, Prince uh, uh, Gareth Prince trying to get admitted as an attorney. Uh, a long journey, 20 years later, you're still standing. Indeed, my brother, and I'm thankful to be here. You know, a lot of people like uh, the Mandelas, they had to spend their years in prison. Yeah. Fortunately for me, I wasn't in prison, although I faced a different kind of prison. But I'm thankful to be here and I'm thankful to have the health and strength in order to have embarked on this mission and to bring it to the constitutionality where f- finally on the 18th of September 2018, we got the first step. I wouldn't call it a victory as of yet. Yes. But it was indeed the first step towards the emancipation and the redeeming of the integrity and the dignity of the Rastafari people and the First Nation people of this country. That's my guest, uh, Prince, uh, joining me in studio. Remember, you can watch the show live by going to Kai FM. We're streaming it live and for your benefit. This is, this is a really amazing time to be talking to you. And I want to just maybe pick up, because it's easy for somebody who just hears of your name in 2018 to say, I want to know, you know, I'm listening to Prince. Who's this Prince? And, and, and f- you know, the story can't start today. The story starts somewhere in your upbringing. Where did you go to school? I was... Born and bred in Cape Town, yeah. I finished primary school in Cape Town, and then I started grade nine or standard seven, as we know it in that time, in Neisner, and I managed to finish my matric in Neisner, and then from Neisner I came to the University of Western Cape in 1998. Yes, that's when I did my first degree, Bjuris uh, at the University of Western Cape. Yes, and it is during that time that I took up the Rastafari way of life at university. At university. Yes, after having been conscientized through reggae music. Right. Because that is where I got my education and that is where I got to know of an alternative voice than the burger and the rapport that we had at the time. And leading up to that, no marijuana? No. And you then learn first about the religion? Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, and the interest through reggae music. Right. You know, and it was at 1819? In my second year at university, yeah, that I started growing the dreadlocks. Yes. And then taking, partaking of the cannabis. How, how did it all start for you? Because I think there's a lot of um, talk around um, Dacha being sort of negative elements being um, associated with it. It's been so many conversations yes, around and yes, about yes. Dacha. Often those discussions happening between people who don't take Dacha themselves. Very now, much now, so. As a man who takes Dacha, how did the the, the first steps, you know, your introduction to, 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 the, to the herb. Well, I mean, it came actually well. As a matter of fact, I had my first puff when I was at, you know, uh, at, at high school, yeah. uh, grade 11 at the time. You know, but just like having a puff in pass, you know, you're interested, you're curious to know about Was that thing. your first puff in pass? Yes. Right. Yes. So, so, so the sequence is you get into uh, reggae and Rastafarian way of life. And then the puff and pass happened. Yeah, yeah, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's, for a lot of people, it was different yeah. than that, you know, because we have to remember that cannabis has formed part of the indigenous people's culture for thousands of years. Yeah. I think my mic is off. You know, your mic is very much on. We just switched right. it lower. <laughs> great, great, great. 
Yeah. Um, it has always formed part of the indigenous people's way of life. Yes. Yeah. And it is only through the advent of the colonialist that criminal laws in respect of this plan came about, which the purpose that it served initially, it came about through fear and ignorance in the first place, right? And its purpose was control over the native races. They could no longer enslave us with shackles and chains, so they had to do it via the penal justice system, via labor laws, via past laws. And that is how they exercised control over the First Nation people, and more importantly, I think, deprived us of an economic benefit because cannabis was then replaced with alcohol and tobacco. And we know that in cannabis, we have the one plant that can do both. My bad. No worries. Yeah, let me just switch this off. Let me take care of that for you whilst you continue Thanks. to speak. Yeah. So, so you, you were still making the point? That point. Yeah, so no, no, you're still, you're still making the point that um, so the, the introduction of alcohol and the likes to substitute yes, the use the fact that those replaced cannabis. Mm. Because cannabis, it has that effect that people get from alcohol and it also has the ability to be smoked like tobacco. Right. But with the added benefit that cannabis is controlled by the indigenous people of this country. The, the means of production of that plant is not in the hands of the Europeans or those who came into the country. It's ours. Alcohol and tobacco are in the hands of those who came into the country and it has been their cultural means of keeping us down press, keeping us controlled. So you find that for us associating with cannabis was also a cultural revolution. Yeah, in the sense that here we could identify and the fact that, you know, we were all indoctrinated as brown people, we were taught that no, you're better than black people, but you're not as good as the white people. You know, so this false consciousness was instilled in us from birth, you know, reading the burger, reading the report, that instilled a certain type of consciousness. For me, it was only when I came to university that I had an alternative point of view and through reggae that but, I but had who, who an alternative this, point of who view. Who is this person or this group that introduces you to this new world? For me, it was Peter Tosh. Right. That is in essence through reggae music and then Mr. Marcus Garvey as such. Mm. Yeah, they were the ones that introduced this philosophy that black is beautiful, that our things are things that needs to be cherished. And it, it, it put into perspective, especially the Bible for us, because as Christians, we growing up in this country, we are a very religious and a spiritual people, African people in general. And then the Bible was put into context. You know that the people they spoke of in the Bible, as a matter of fact, in terms of skin color, they were black and brown people, not white people. You know, so the half of the story that has never been told to us came to me through reggae music and then through my journey at university. And through just music, because, you know, Marcus Garvey would have been uh, through his speeches, Peter yes. Tosh through his music. Yes. Is there, is there a person that's introducing you to this? In other words, in and of itself, the act of going to university doesn't necessarily expose you to these things. No. It's, it, it's what I want to understand your people, your community, your yes. fellow students at the time? What's the vibe at that point? I was fortunate to meet up with the Rastafari community in Neisner. All right. And, you know, Brother Maxi from like, was one of, the, one of the leading brethren there. They were the ones that introduced me to this alternative way of living. They were the ones that showed us that, no, I mean, like, we don't use tobacco when we use cannabis because cannabis is a sacrament for us. 
And that is, and that is where the interest started and that's where I started reading wider. So at school, it was being in Neisner and it being introduced to the Rastafari community there that brought me into the Rastafari way of life. And when I read your, your court papers in, in respect of the 2000 judgment, we'll get to that in more detail. Yeah. But one of the things that's mentioned there is, that the, is the fact that you had two criminal convictions. Talk to me about your first criminal conviction for the use of, of Dachau. Yes, that was during my second year at university. I've just taken up the Rastafari way of life and one evening police caught me in possession of what we would call one stop of Dacha, right? I was physically arrested. A stompy? Uh, no, stompy. just like Blunt. one, yeah, uh, um, like one small unit of cannabis. Right? One roll, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I was arrested for that, kept in jail for four days. Sure. And then had to appear in court and ultimately paid a fine initially. And be convicted. Being convicted, yeah. yeah? I remember asking the magistrate at the time, but how is it possible that that which is uh, allowed in terms of the Bible is criminalized in terms of the law? In terms of which Bible? The Christian Bible. Tell me about that. In the sense that cannabis is a creation of God. It's not man that made the plant. It's, it's like apples and pears. Right. You know, we found it here on creation. Yeah. So it's not men that made cannabis. And in terms of the Bible, it says that every fruit-bearing plant that carries its seed within itself, that shall be meat for you as human beings. So we took our reference from there and saying that no, but the usage of plants and that which carries its seed within itself is allowed for humankind. How come a law criminalizes that? What gives you the right to criminalize that? Especially when you allow people to smoke tobacco because that hypocrisy was just so clear to us right from the beginning. How come it is that it's only the Ruperts of this country that is allowed to profit of pain and suffering? But when it is that black people can start to grow a plant of which they can make money, then suddenly we are drug dealers and we are a drug community. And you told the magistrate this, what was his reaction? You're not here to come and tell me about the Bible 60 rand or 30 days. If I didn't have the 60 rand at the time to pay the fine, I would have gone to jail for 30 days. And we all know what can happen to you when you, when you land up in jail. And, and, and talk, so, so perhaps I want to get to the second conviction because that, that's an interesting point. But I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that you're quoting the Bible. Um, are you a Christian or, 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 because when I read your papers, you, you actually said, well, you believe in in, in a different faith and, and, and your use of cannabis is related to Rastaf, you know, um, uh, Rastaf, uh, Rastafarian practice. So yeah. I'm intrigued by, yeah. by the citation. Let me explain, let me explain that. As I opposed was, to um, what you believe in. Yes, I was brought up in the Christian way of life. I went to the Dutch Reformed Church because that's a church that my parents attended, you know? And um, I went through the whole process you know, of being confirmed in the church. Yes. You know, yeah. that, you that, that, that old person, you know, <laughs> so we went through that, you know, as such. But then I realized more and more that religion, as Marx said, is an opium for the people. It isn't really liberating our people, but it was more enslaving the people because we saw that the Bible wasn't written for the benefit of black people. And we find that it's all negative images. The devil is black. It's the black sheep. It's all these notions of saying that black is dirty. Black is not acceptable. You know, if you want to be, if you want to enter heaven, then you have to be as pure or white as snow, you know? So all of these notions 
play down on black people and they wanted us to believe that we are inferior, that we are not worthy of recognition, that we are not worthy of dignity. And it, if it wasn't for their benevolent mercy, that we would never have seen the light of civilization, that we would still have been uncivilized animals. But we proved them wrong. And the Rastafari people said, no, but black is beautiful and we are proud to be black and we are proud to associate with African ways of doing things. And we are not saying that those are inferior. We are quite proud to be African and to be associating with things African. And we are going to defend that. And the fact that you criminalize us is not going to stop us because just as we militated against slavery, so we will meditate and militate against the slavery of the mind. What's your relationship with Christianity today? I think that I am much closer to Jesus Christ than I ever was. Because as a matter of fact, the fact that we grow dreadlocks, the fact that we as you use cannabis. That, as you answer that, do you believe in, in Jesus Christ and, and, and his message? Very, very much so. Yes. Jesus Christ wore dreadlocks. Jesus Christ had a very intricate knowledge of herbs by being a member of the Essenes, which was the tribe that he was essentially with. The message of Jesus is the message of Rastafari. It's the message of liberation. It's the message of truth and right. The message of Jesus that is being taught in the Roman Catholic Church or perhaps the Anglican Church might differ radically from the Jesus Christos that Rastafari promote. Because Rastafari in certain aspects of certain groups of, 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 of I mean, Jesus Christ in certain parts of Rastafari, Rast Haile Selassie is seen as the second coming of Jesus Christ. Right. So, 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 so explain then to um, somebody who doesn't have a full appreciation of uh, Rastafarian uh, beliefs. And, and I ask this because I find in my personal daily lives, growing up there was a lot more conversations around it. And as I grow older, perhaps it's my circles, perhaps it's a, a reflection of society today. There's less and less talk about it. And, 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 and perhaps that then leads to less and less education about it. Explain yeah. it to me um, um, uh, in its form, what it embraces and what it's about and, and, and its relationship to God. Yep. If at all there is a God. Rastafari accept that there is a higher personality, whether you want to call it God, a deity or whatever, but we accept that there is a higher intelligence than man. Right. And we accept that that intelligence or that power manifest him or herself in different forms throughout different stages of humanity's existence. We accept that he manifested himself in Haile Selassie. And, yeah? and, 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 so that is why Rastafari accept Haile Selassie as the one that led them towards Godhead. Right. Yeah. And we venerate Haile Selassie as the personification of the divine in this day and age. We are not saying that's the only form that God can take because to us, God has taken many forms throughout many different stages of humanity's existence. So Rastafari accept that there is a higher intelligence. We accept that there is a way that you reach this higher intelligence, right? We don't want to call it laws or rules or regulations, but we have certain um, disciplines yeah. that we have set in place. For instance, we promote a vegetarian lifestyle, right? And therefore, we, most of our members try to abstain from alcohol, 
they try to abstain from meat and tobacco because those things are not progressive, they are not healthy for us. And that's, those are life choices that we have made in our way of life. So we promote an earth-friendly way of lifestyle. We promote a people-friendly way of lifestyle. And that is for those reasons that we have taken up the practices that we have. We try to abstain from tobacco because it is, it's, it's a mundane practice. Whereas, yes, it is your right to use it, but one would argue that you're not very conscious when you use it because you're not just harming yourself, but you're harming others as such because of, of the fact that secondary smoke of tobacco is a class A carcinogen. I mean, like, that is scientific. It's not my emotion I mean, like, or a, a, a very subjective point of view. We're talking about science at the end of the day here. Whereas when it comes to cannabis, we are not saying it's harmless. I mean, like, even the most innocuous substance on earth, water, is not harmless. If you fall into a great reservoir of it and you can't swim, you will drown, right? It, which means so water that is, what, is harmful. It, it can, it can be. <laughs> but we all know it's quite innocuous. We drink it every day. Respect, you know. So, so, so let me just bring relative. everybody up to speed. If if you just tuned in, I'm talking to Gareth Prince. Uh, he's the man behind um, the constitutional victory for 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 Dhaka or decriminalization of it, and. Um, and, and for many of you, you'd know him not from today, but for as long as about 20 years. So he's my guest tonight, and uh, um, uh, I want to take a break. And, and, and when I come back, I'm going to continue a uh, conversation with my guest. I wish I could take um, your calls, but I'm afraid um, we simply don't have enough time because we had hoped to start early. Unfortunately, uh, circumstances didn't allow. Um, but nevertheless, I'm going to try to squeeze in as much as your questions as possible. Uh, uh, hit us up on on Twitter, at Smutoning Bill. If I spot your question there, I'll certainly put it to, to, to my guest, Prince. We're back after this. The Law Report with Michael Mutoning Bill, Kaya FM 95.9. Welcome back to The Law Report. My guest tonight, Gareth Prince, the man behind what everybody's talking about this week. That's the decriminalization of marijuana. And the man has waged a 20-year fight um, for what he believed is his birthright to indulge in and to use. And, uh, and, 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 and I know that you're not completely happy with, with the judgment or the reasons for the judgment. And I, and I, and I can't wait to get to that. But, but I, I want to follow the sequence. So um, we, we digressed a little bit uh, to talk about religion, and it, it's, it's absolutely not digressing it as necessary. I want to go back to, to, the, to the sort of the chronology of things. Then you get your second conviction. How, how, how did that come about? Um, being on a train carrying a bag with about a kilogram of cannabis on me. <laughs> Police coming onto the train and searching people. Inspectors, they used And to then, yeah, uh, well, uh, uh, police, yeah, they just police. came. And, you know, I'm mean, like, pure discrimination. Oh, that's the only roster. Let's see what he's got in his bag. And, and surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. There I was having my kilogram of cannabis there on my way to now, another let me ask this. Was that for use or, or, or something else? No, it's, it's use. It's use. It's yeah. use. So you I know. suppose you, you tend to But you know, my brother, it's like in terms, of, in terms of the law as it currently stands, we're all dealers. You know, because if you supply somebody with it, even if that's that act in itself, Supplying somebody with cannabis. Yeah. That's, that's an act of dealing and, in terms and, of and the that's act. where I imagine your source of discomfort and, and happiness stems from. Because, you know, I, I, I put it to my guest early on, and, and, and I suppose I, I look forward to your answer to say, um, this is saying, or the judgment is saying, you can use it and you can cultivate it, but you, uh, 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 you can't sell it. So what happens to somebody who doesn't want to plant 
cannabis. You know, just as you know, I buy my vegetables. I don't have a vegetable. Okay, I do have a vegetable garden, but I don't have all the vegetables I need. What if I don't want to grow a vegetable garden? Exactly. Can't I buy from print? And the thing is, I mean, like we we must always appreciate love and understand that you cannot interpret law in a vacuum. Yeah. You have to do it within the confines of our social economic realities. The the fact is, the majority of us do not have space to cultivate because all, people all are staying in shacks yeah. or in time or uh, I mean, like the inclination or the skill yes. for that matter as such. And I think you know, in terms of the constitution, oblige us to learn from the experience of other countries, right? Section 39 of the Constitution. Yeah. It, it, it obliged the courts and governments to take note of developments in other countries yeah. in relation to human rights matters. Yes. So one would have expected the South African government as well as the South African judiciary to have learned from the experience of especially Canada. You find that in Canada, like three or four people had to bring court cases over a period of 12, 13 years in order for them to get the legislative side of their uh, cannabis administration right and proper. I'm mean, what, what the Constitutional Court has done here is, to an extent, they've, they've done their job. The only question that was really before them was for them to decide whether the old laws were in line with our new constitutional order or not. It's Parliament's duty in terms of the separation of powers doctrine to now determine how we are going to do that. You know, they have to decide uh, what are the limitations going to be and how we're going to actually do that. And they would have to do that in conjunction with the people of South Africa. And that's what Parliament needs to do, and that's what they need to do in the, in the next 24 months, but sooner as opposed to later. You came into the spotlight when you were trying to be an attorney. Tell us exactly. about that. You know, obviously, I mean, like, we know that I always believed that education was going to be my way out of the ghetto, mm -hmm. and my way out of poverty, and... Which ghetto? Neisner? Well, basically, the conditions that, that brown and black people find themselves with but where were all you over from? the... In Neisner at the time. Right. Right, Neisner. And, and I was uh, schooled, like I say, in the Western Cape, and then I went, like, to Neisner after that. Yeah. You know? I just lost my... my, my it's all right. <laughs> I, I was, we are talking about... So you said education was the way that you perceived to be your ticket out of the ghetto. Yes, yes. You know, and being a champion for the voiceless. You know, as, as, as in Rastafari, very early on, I realized that we would have to change the laws. You know, I even realized that before I was a Rastafari, having been inspired to become a lawyer, you know, at the time of wronging the rights. And having become conscious within the Rastafari movement, I decided, no, but I can be a voice for the voiceless of my race and my people, being the Rastafari peoples, because I became a Rasta at the age of 19. So I just always saw that, I has been the one that was appointed and anointed in order to be the voice of the Rastafari community and to raise this injustice, not just against our community, but against the indigenous community of South Africa, mm. the First Nation people of which I'm also a part, mm. right? And it, the fact that their voice has never been recognized within this country. And what we attempted to tell the court is that under the apartheid police state, it was quite okay for the state to throw the criminal justice system at every problem. Mm -hmm. In a constitutional democracy, we don't just throw the criminal justice system at every problem. Social health problems requires a different methodology than criminal justice problems. We don't throw patients in jail. We need to give them help or put them in hospitals if it is that they need help. Mm -hmm. Now we are saying that in respect of the Rastafari culture, people want to mix us up 
with a drug culture. Whereas the facts of the matter are that if we are to do the scientific testing, then Rastafari would be one of the communities that uses the least amount of drugs. And, you know, if we are to be scientific about the whole thing, then you cannot classify cannabis as a drug or as a narcotic. So you set out uh, to fight for a, a specified and defined cause, which you've explained. And you apply to be admitted as an attorney and the Cape Law Society takes a position that no, they're going to oppose your admission as an attorney. Talk to me about that experience. So the justification they had was that, Mr. Prince, you are not a fit, you're not fit and proper to be an attorney. Mm. Because their reasoning was lawyers should engender respect for the law in citizens. What you are doing by saying that you are not apologetic about the fact that you were arrested and that you are going to continue to use cannabis, you are inspiring, encouraging people to break the law. That means that you are not fit and proper to be a member of the legal fraternity. So I quoted the example of Holish Lashla Mandela in 1954 when they tried to debar him yes. for being uh, um, a political activist as such. And lo and behold, even in 1954, the apartheid court at the time said, but Mr. Mandela's ability to practice his profession is not limited by his being a member of a political party. It doesn't have a bearing on his ability to practice his profession. I argue that my using cannabis in a private setting, in a religious setting, in my house, is not going to have an ability, on, uh, an effect on my ability to practice as an attorney. So that was my argument in 1998, but the Cape Law Society, the Cape High Court, and ultimately the majority of the Constitutional Court argued that Unfortunately, Mr. Prince, we respect your religion, but this aspect of your religion is dangerous. And we cannot allow this thing to proliferate within society because it's going to be harmful to society and it's going to make the work of the police more difficult because we have to police this drug because it is dangerous. Now that, oh, there are several assumptions, I mean, like in that reasoning, that was not science-based at all. But it formed part of the downpression of indigenous people all over the world. So it was nothing new to us. It was just part of the arsenal that's been used by the downpressors for the past 400 years. And the Constitutional Court finally heard your matter. Insofar as your admission as an attorney, what did they finally decide? The first time around? The last time around, insofar as your admission. Or the first time. Yeah. The, the case that I read was one that was heard, I think, in the year 2000 and decided in the 2001? Yes, that was correct. Um, was that the first one? Yes, that was the first time around. That was Prince 1. There's Prince 1 and there's Prince 2. Yes. Well, Prince 2 was, was delivered in 2002. That was, right. a, that was a, the second judgment because yes. they gave us a second bite of the cherry. Because initially they said there wasn't too, uh, enough evidence before court, so they allowed us to supplement the evidence. And then they had the second, they, they had the second matter in which they uh, uh, decided against us as such. 6-5. That was Prince too. So in that case, when we were at the Constitutional Court... And you do know court, that students were learning law with your cases, right? I've, I've heard <laughs> about that. I've read about that. From first years to final years, we find out, ultimately. I have a law student in the house and he's saying yes, yes. But, yes. <laughs> and it was only Justice Sachs that, that touched on this in his judgment, in his separate minority judgment. Yeah. He said that it so happened that, well... That whole issue about me being fit and proper and working as an attorney didn't feature at the Constitutional Court because they felt that, no, Mr. Prince, I'm like, you, 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 you changed uh, 
your approach along the way. Because when it, we, 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 we widened the ambit of our attack and on the Supreme Court of Appeal, and ultimately there was an issue about that, but they didn't decide about that. And there's only one writer in South African academics, Professor Lawrence Duplessis, that wrote something about this. I think it was in a 2009 journal, um, where he actually said that, well, the court should have adjudicated on that, but the majority did not, and the Law Society didn't pay any attention to the sentiments expressed by Justice Sachs in his separate minority judgment. But Michael, my, my, my concern was that afterwards, right, we adopted the Equality Act, right, the Promotion of Equality and the Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act in 2004, right, or it was Act 4 of 2000. That was when we adopted that act. Now that act obliged every state organ to investigate legislation to see as to whether there are not groups of people that are being excluded by that particular legislation. The Cape Law Society should have used that in order to realize that, but this law is putting me in an untenable position, asking me to choose between obeying my conscience or obeying the law. Mm. And that is not really a choice that, that, that a government should put any of its citizens mm. to mm. as such. But they've never done that. When I, when I applied to them again in 2009, they simply said, no, sorry, I'm like, the law still remains the same. And up until the law is changed, we cannot accept you as a member of the legal fraternity. But now that the laws have fallen away, technically speaking, there are no longer any obstacles in their way, I'm like, for admitting me as a member so, of the so, legal fraternity. So 20 years down the line, you never got admitted? No. Wow. Essentially, destroying my professional life. Yes and limiting your right to trade. And as Justice Sachs said in his judgment, what the majority did was to condemn not only myself and the Rastafari community to poverty, but the whole of South Africa. And we see that the material as well as the spiritual poverty that we've experienced for the past 16 years, it really, it brings a strange, eerie ring of truth to Justice Sachs' sentiments, you know, it's like his prophecy became true at the time. You know, the, the injustice that was done, not just to our vulnerable, uh, marginalized community, but to other vulnerable, marginalized communities in this country, shows that whereas, in theory, a constitutional democracy is supposed to mean right over might, what we've experienced was just might over right. And that's what we've experienced for the past 23 years under this constitutional democracy. Let me ask you this, uh, Prince. Um, I call you Prince because it, it's, it's the only feel way free, I can make free. sure everybody's on board. Thank you. <laughs> Um, would you still apply to, to be admitted as an attorney? Oh yes, I was born for this, my brother. I was born for and, this. And let me, let me ask you a follow-up question. Are you better? Am I better? Yes. No, not at all. So let me, let me put my proposition properly. You've sought to be part of this profession for 20 years. And, and, and using your words where um, uh, might was used against you for the last 20 years and now might has relaxed because times they are changing. And now suddenly there is nothing that stands in your way, but you have lost 20 years. So, so there are two emotions I imagine must be at play. The first emotion is triumph. The other one could potentially be bitterness, which is the dominant one. Triumph, because bitterness is something that would poison me from the inside and I can't afford to have that. You know, I'm, I'm blessed in the sense that I have been given the opportunity to do this, 
you know, the fact that I've answered the call of my community and not even just my community, but all South Africans, I would reckon, in this regard, because it's an injustice, not just against the Rastafari community, but an injustice against all people in South Africa and an injustice against the environment. Because we need to be conscious about the fact that Earth is our mother and that in terms of our constitution, she does have rights, you know? So myself, I cannot be bitter, my brother, you know, because although I've lost 20 years, you know, that my family had suffered. And for me, the one thing that really made me heart sore was the fact that my mother who sacrificed so much to put me through school and to assist me while I was studying because as you would know I'm in a studying law you don't get bursaries you know we had to struggle to get through that I wasn't able for the past 20 years you know to alleviate her suffering to make it a little bit easier for her by virtue of the fact that I've been prevented from practicing my chosen profession and one that I've qualified myself at great cost with you know, but she's around. She's around still, yeah. Well, there's light, isn't there? And there is, you know. And like I say, I mean, like I, I believe I've got the strength in order to do something about that now. I think your story is is absolutely remarkable, and 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 I'm most sad about the fact that we didn't have enough time. But let me put two more questions in in the two minutes that remain. Um, the the y y you said that you were born to fight for a cause and you identify two causes, one for the First Nation and two for um, the Rastafari. Um, um, I'm wondering now with, with your admission and with the job ahead, or your imminent admission and the job ahead, what, what, is, what do you seek to do first for um, the First Nation and for the Rastafari or for the users of cannabis is there still a fight to be pursued and waged? Oh yes, oh yes, very, very, very much so. You know, in, through the Bible, right, we've come across this saying in Revelation, where it says that the tree that stood on both plants of the rivers was for the healing of the nation. Now we believe that cannabis is that plant which is for the healing of this nation on a material level, as well as on a metaphysical or on a spiritual level. We believe that the herb has the ability to do that. So our immediate task now is to disseminate the information, the clear, scientific, rational information about the plant in order to bring people towards that realization. The knowledge is out there. We can make the paper, we can make the bricks, we can make the oil for the lamps, we can make the petrol for the cars, all from one plant. And South Africa, is the country in the world that is the best position to plant this plant of all the countries in the world. So why not make use of our most valuable resource in order to get what we want? Our philosophy is make use of what you have to get what you want. And African people, we need to start embracing our own. We must learn to drink water from our own streams before we lose our roots. Well said. I mean, if we drink from our own streams, it, it would also make our export <laughs> would be a net exporter because we do import more than what we export or consume more than what, what we produce and, 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 and point well made and, and quite taken. What remains for the First Nation specifically? What is the agenda there? What is the cause? The Koi and the Sun are amongst those who have suffered the most as a result of this penalization of this plant. 
right. we are the ones that have languished in jails for all of these years. So there has to be reparation. You know, that's one of the important things. People were quick to speak about reconciliation, but there has to be reparation before there can be reconciliation. And that is a process that has to be government driven. So our, our task is to engage government because our people, they lack the resources. Government are the ones that administer our resources. We are asking that our resources be used for projects that's going to advance us and not just an imperialistic or a Western agenda. We are saying, let us make use of what we have and let us see what we can do with that in order at first to provide in the basic needs of our people, food, clothes, shelter, health, education and welfare. Right. Those are some of the basic things that we can start addressing as from tomorrow, if all of the bureaucratic wrangles are unwrangled in order for us to start planting the plant, because we are in planting season, as you and I are speaking here now, and we can't afford it to let another season go past us. And you must be watching this land debate with with great interest, given that the 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 mission that you've set out for yourself invariably requires land. And, and we know that the, the, there's been a lot of dispossession, in particular, in respect to the Khoisan and the Khoi. Exactly, exactly, my brother. But, you know, we, I think that we need to get to this notion where, as African people, we've always accepted that we are not owners of land. Mm. We are caretakers and we are stewards, guardians of land. There's an old Kenyan proverb that says that the earth is a place that is borrowed unto us by our children. So we have to take care of it and preserve it and leave it in a better state than we found it, you know? But what we, we've, we've been doing just the opposite in the past. So we believe that cannabis affords the South African society an opportunity to forge a path forward that can sustain a green economy mm -hmm. and as well serve to build towards healing the deep rifts that we have in our society. We have absolutely run out of time and whoever has got the ability to be totally upset with me is livid as we speak. But I can't not ask this question um, because I think it's, 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 it's central, right? Um, the, the judgment that we, was delivered yesterday, what are you unhappy with? Because as I read it, it's, it, it seems to have confined itself to protecting the right to privacy. And you made arguments about other rights to religion, etc. What, what's your discontent? And, 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 and if you could, as quickly as you can, the other concern I have with it is, is this dealing, how, how you know, this issue of, you, you say it's planting season, let's do this, but this, this judgment doesn't allow you to do quite what you exactly. seek to do. My greatest problem or my greatest concern with the judgment was that it seemed to place the decision whether to arrest or not in the hands of the police. Yes. And the uncontested evidence before the court was that the police are not bona fide when it comes to the Rastafari and the cannabis community. But that's an easier problem to solve where a police must determine is it a blunt or is it a, a kilogram. That's an easy one. But you want a felt, you want a whole field, you want a whole farm of cannabis. And this judgment doesn't allow you, nor does it even play into that debate of the police and whatever. If you have a whole felt, or if you have a whole field or a whole farm, 
the debate on whether it's for private use or not certainly yes. wouldn't arise. It's clearly commercial in nature. One could clearly see that the aim of the court was not to be seen to be stepping onto the feet of the legislature whose duty it is to work out the finer details. Yeah. Right? The court was very, very careful not to create that impression. And I think that is probably one of the reasons why instead of they prescribing, they left it grey. So it is now... Is it a grey though? Is it a grey? I think, let's, let's, because I think if you had a whole field of, of marijuana, it's not a grey, it will lead you into, into trouble as opposed the to... The current debate, it yeah. most certainly would. But that is where I say where interaction with government is crucial at this stage. Yeah. Because we need to get, we need to move away from this thing that we can regulate via the criminal justice system. Indeed. Well, let me thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you us. very, very much. That must, that's my guest, uh, uh, Gareth Prince. Um, um, 20 year, 20 odd year journey um, for the same battle. It seems like it's still going to continue, albeit in a different form. I wish you the best of luck in your journey. And uh, I can't wait to welcome you to the profession. Aluta continue, my brother, and uh, I'll see you in court. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And, uh, for You're me, welcome, my, my brother. Bill, uh, it's been a great one. I trust that you've enlightened, uh, and I trust um, that you've enjoyed it. Uh, for every one of you at home, uh, you, remember you can also uh, watch this by going to our website uh, at kfm.co.za. Uh, to Sutu Mayor, I do apologize. Uh, that's us. That's the Law Report. See you next week. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. Stay tuned to Kaya FM for more.